Growing up, I was always given the choice of getting a birthday present or going to a nice restaurant for dinner. I always picked the birthday dinner. Food is a necessity, it's emotional, it's connective, and restaurants offer food variety, different ambiances, and convenience. You get a full service where someone literally waits on you and brings you drink and food to your heart's desire. Restaurants are beloved establishments and make up the heart of every small town and big city. They are all uniquely special and craft different experiences for their guests, making restaurants one of the most transformative of businesses. Hi everyone, I'm Jessica, and like many of you, I'm a real food lover. Over the next few weeks, we will explore what it's like to be a restaurant owner in Michigan during the COVID-19 pandemic, facing extremely difficult choices and challenges. Through the next several episodes, I'm going to introduce you to someone that is considered to be a local hero by some and a reckless villain by others. The story is located about an hour north of Detroit and 20 minutes east of Flint in the big small town of Lapeer, Michigan. Patrick Hinkst is the founder and owner owner of Woodchips Barbecue in downtown Lapeer and has been an active community member since opening his business in May of 2014. But recently, he has been in the local news and even made an appearance on national networks for making the boldly transparent and public decision to keep his restaurant dining room open during Michigan's pause or second lockdown as most people refer to it. Patrick historically has a great track record when it comes to following all business rules and department regulations. But as of November 18, 2020, Patrick committed his first of defiance when he publicly announced that he would not shut down his dine-in services, despite Michigan Department of Health and Human Service orders to do so. Over the following weeks, I'm going to be conducting live interviews with Patrick, his team, his attorney, anyone who is willing to talk to me so I can give you a better understanding of what is happening in this town and to shed light on my absolute favorite industry, the food industry. This is The Restaurant Revolution. Back now to the governor's orders. Governor Whitmer recently signed this morning an executive order temporarily shutting down bars and restaurants. But it's not just places to eat, clubs, movie theaters, gyms, spas and casinos. As of 3 p.m. this afternoon, they are all closed. One exception, restaurants may allow five people inside at a time to pick up orders as long as they are six feet away from one another. The governor said the moves are about saving lives. We spoke to some West Michigan restaurant owners to find out, frankly, what they're going to do. The restaurant industry is one of the hardest industries in the world to make a living at. Um, the failure rate is astronomical. Um, lots of people will see the glitz and glamour and think, yeah, owning a restaurant, that's got to be lots of fun. I'd, I'd love to have that kind of prestige. Uh, but you don't realize, uh, especially if you go into it with your eyes closed, what a nightmare it can quickly become. Um, even in good years during the good times, uh, the best operated restaurants operate on razor thin margins. So you can do a million dollars a year and you'd be like, wow, a million dollars. But at the end of the day, you're probably only going to profit somewhere around 20, 30, 40, maybe 70,000 if you're a really amazing operator. So whenever I meet somebody and they say, oh, you want a restaurant? I, I, I really want to open a restaurant. I'm like, oh, that's great. Any chance you let me talk you out of it? So that doesn't sound like the most fun industry. So why don't you take us back to the very beginning? Wood Chips Barbecue, why? How did it all come about? Why Lapeer? Um, I opened my first restaurant uh, almost 11 years ago, a sandwich shop called MC Witches in downtown Oxford. Um, and that was just kind of a small operation because I had no money. 
and I needed to get that open and it was a shoestring budget and we were able to make it work. Uh, but I always had this thought in the back of my head, I wanted to return to my hometown. I grew up here, Lapeer, moved here when I was 11 years old. Um, and the downtown was very beautiful, but it was economically devastated. It, it lost like the anchor store JCPenney's back in the early 90s, and after that, it just fell into disrepair as all the development was the big box stores and the chains happening outside of the downtown. So uh, after being open with our first restaurant for about five years, the opportunity came along uh, to actually buy where Woodship stands today. And the opportunity came literally days after me and my partner were discussing possibly bringing a barbecue restaurant someday to Lapeer. So the universe pointed all signs to this. We were able to make a deal work out and we wanted to bring something to the town that it could be proud of. You know, there were good restaurants here, but we wanted to be that focal point that really helped spur the downtown to come back to life. Today, I am announcing a ban on bars from operating in the short term, as well as restaurants from providing sit-down inside service. We're encouraging them to uh, transition to a takeaway. We think that this is really important. So by my calculations, this business at the beginning of the March 2020 lockdown had been operating for six years, right? So can you tell us about the first lockdown announcement and explain to us you know, the information that you received about shutting down a business that had been operating for so many years? So you know, I don't have a whole lot of time to watch TV or follow the news necessarily. Running restaurants is, is easily a full-time job and beyond. Um, I remember early in March starting to hear some chatter about something in China, and then it seemed like kind of out of nowhere, it just overtook what everybody was talking about in the media. And the only communication we got from it was the media itself. There was no, nobody gave me a phone call, nobody sent me anything. They just, the governor was on TV and all of a sudden telling us that we had to basically close down or completely restructure our business. So it was uh, completely caught us off guard. It was nothing we ever expected or anticipated. I don't know if anybody could have possibly planned for that. So it was just slap in the face, punch in the gut. But, you know, restaurant industry, you're used to facing challenges. And that very first announcement, it was supposed to be 15 days, right? So you were expecting just a two-week shutdown. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what was going through your mind? So, yeah, it was uh, 15 days to flatten the curve. That was, that was the, uh, the talking points that they told us. So, you know, not having a lot of data at that point, um, we, we went with it. We thought, okay, we'll let, give them this two weeks to do that. Our, our people can survive, you know, maybe two weeks of, of being laid off. And, you know, our restaurant can, it'll, you know, be a big hit, but we can, we can handle that. So we just did our best to kind of put together a plan. Now, I did a little bit of research on wood chips, and I understand that you guys opened an offshoot of your Lapeer restaurant in a nearby town called Oxford. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like for you? Yeah, so um, less than three weeks before the announcement of the lockdown, uh, we had just converted our my first restaurant, MC Witches, to become a carry-out, quick casual version of Woodchips, Woodchips Express. Uh, so we had that grand opening, or we had the uh, soft opening at the end of February. Didn't even have time to plan a grand opening, uh, barely open a few days, then all of a sudden we're facing a shutdown order that we're not able to serve any dining. So you got to take us through step by step. You've got these two restaurants. What's going through your mind? What's your next step? You know you have to shut down and you only have a few hours, days. Tell us about that. How did you uh, go from a dine-in restaurant and a new concept to, what was it, carry-out only? 
Yeah, so we had very little warning uh, with this first one and, you know, had no practice with it. So I had a new GM in place at our at our Oxford location. Being new, things were a little bit slower there. So, you know, you want to give full-time attention to it, but you kind of had to let it let it do its thing and, and hopefully and, and survive while I turned the focus to, to wood chips because we need to be able to have this in operation. This is the, the backbone of our of our of our organization, of our empire. Um, so immediately I met with my uh, my director of marketing and my general manager. Uh, we went to another restaurant bar, uh, like literally hours before the, the, the shutdown came in, and we just had an emergency meeting. Um, first thing we did was to uh, look at both our menu as well as our staff. Um, at the time, carryout represented somewhere between three and five percent of our total business. So we're talking like a fraction of a fraction. So we wanted to be able to figure out a menu we could execute that still preserved what we were about, serving high quality, scratch made, fresh barbecue. Um, but it was also manageable because we knew we were going to be going down to a skeleton crew. Um, we were already coming out of January and February, which are the hardest months for restaurants. I mean, sometimes winter is just about survival. So you're coming out of that, finally entering March, where you're like, okay, we're going to start making some money again. And then, boom, you get hit with this. So we had to look at our team and prioritize them uh, on, based on two different things. One, we needed to make sure we had the people that could operate the different positions of the restaurant that we needed. Uh, but two, you know, we're, we're a family restaurant. We're here to take care of our people. So we had to prioritize you know, single moms over the high school students. We had the, the people that had the bills to pay and the families to take care of. We wanted to make sure we made them a priority. Not that the other people don't matter to us, but you know, when you only have so many resources, you got to make your decisions. So we ended up trimming our staff down from, uh, I was in the upper 20s, I want to say 27 or 28. Uh, we ended up with just eight. Uh, all the servers and bartenders pretty much laid off. Most of our kitchen team laid off. And then we created our carry-on and carry-out menu. And uh, 3 o'clock, the, the, the doors closed. They kicked us out of the bar. We came back and uh, started to go to town implementing the plan. We um, talked to each employee. You know, let them know the situation, told them we'd have them back as soon as possible, but unfortunately our hands were tied at the time. And at that time, the government was helping, correct? There was some, uh, you know, payments being made to, you know, Americans who were losing their jobs. Is that right? It, I don't know if it was announced. I might have been announced later, hmm. um, a couple weeks later. So, yeah, at the time, we were just putting them on a general unemployment. Um, they did eventually come with the unemployment bonus to get them much better pay, which made me feel much better about where they were. I know they're able to take care of themselves. Uh, but, yeah, initially, right out the gates, I think we were just kind of, well, two weeks, and this is what we have to do. The latest three-week ban on indoor dining is driving up demand for both takeout and delivery. And some restaurant owners say that's also complicating ongoing issues with third-party food delivery apps like Grubhub and DoorDash. Beyond that, did you guys consider delivery or partnering with any other businesses or services so that you can have a more robust carryout business? Tell us about that. I understand that there's challenges within that uh, platform as well. Yeah, a common line of criticism is, well, just switch to carryout and delivery. What's the big deal? Um, you know, as we said, we're, we're a dine-in restaurant. Less than 5% of our sales came from carryout. So it's not just like a switch that you can flip. You have to restructure everything. Um, as far as delivery, so when I had the sandwich shop, when we first opened, we did offer in-house delivery. Um, 
it is a pain in the ass. Uh, you have additional insurance fees, your workman's uh, comp payments go up, and uh, hiring delivery drivers is just hard, let alone delivery drivers that have reliable transportation. Add to that the expense of actually executing delivery, people balk at paying any sort of delivery fee, or at least they used to, and tips tend to be low. It, it was just, it was an untenable structure, and we had to get rid of it, and it made my life a lot easier when we finally did. Uh, flash forward now, we got the third-party apps, the Uber Eats, the Grubhubs, uh, DoorDashes, Postmates, all those guys. And, and the dirty little secret is uh, most of us restaurants hate them. Restaurant owners tell me it can take weeks, in some cases months, and hours on the phone to get their menus off sites like Grubhub, DoorDash, and Uber Eats. They siphon our already limited margin away from us. Um, you know, I, I remember when we first signed up with Grubhub, uh, their deal was basically they took almost 35% of the sale went directly to them. This is the Grubhub invoice seen around the world, showing an Illinois restaurant only pocketed $376.50 from more than $1,000 in food orders. You remember what I said earlier, we operate off like single digit margins. So if I've got 10 points of margins, I'm doing great. You're taking 35, I'm left with negative 25% on that transaction. Add to that the logistics of it. It's not like a, a, a third-party delivery app integrates with your system. You've got to get their system and their separate printers. And then you're dealing with drivers and drivers will cause issues. And do we think the customers blame the drivers or Grubhub or whoever it is? No, it's always our fault no matter what it is. Because there is so much uh, confusion, quite honestly. Confusion like recent orders that included ice cream from his sweet shop. Our sweet shop has been closed since the end of September. Leaving delivery customers angry, not with Grubhub, but for Kano. Well, we are not responsible. We have zero, zero control over this. And that's that's just uh, the beginning issue of lists with them. There's, there's so many challenges in dealing with them. They're giant companies. Customer service is poor. Some of them will even just put your menu up on their website without your permission and then you might have to go to court or even fight them just to take it off there which you never approved in the first place. Wow so this really goes towards all of the things you shared with us in terms of running a restaurant. It's very difficult. It sounds like there's a lot of challenges and to make anything work you really have to go through systemic changes to make sure that you're uh, kitchen's able to operate and your whole restaurant's able to function, but you keep getting thrown wrenches, it sounds like. Yeah, with any one thing you see in a restaurant, there's 30 things behind it that had to happen for that one thing to happen that you don't see. And so add that to just, oh, he's got five things to deal with. Yeah, that's 150 things I've got to deal with. Duly noted, I'm not starting a restaurant. You have your carry-on and carry-out menu. Why don't you tell us what's happening inside this restaurant at that time? You think it's going to be you know, 15 days to flatten the curve. Take us through that period of time and all of the things that the restaurant saw, including the lockdown extension. So that first week I was here you know, every single day. I was rallying the troops, you know, trying to provide some cool, calm leadership. Uh, you know, everybody was just suffering from the same thing, uncertainty. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, we put some, you know, positive marketing out there, drumming up support from our from our awesome customer base, and you know, our carryout did okay. Um, it definitely grew from the five percent it was, but you know, basically out the gates, we're down 50, 60 percent in sales, just just gone. And in restaurants, restaurants are very cash flow heavy businesses. Well, that's kind of what I mean. If you're doing a million dollars, you know, at least 950,000 of that is just cycling out. It's not like that's profit. And it's when you look at restaurants, we, we support so many other 
businesses. We've got you know our broadline distributor. You got your produce distributor. We got our local cheese guy. We got the local butcher that we used for our burger. We got the the local uh, paper goods supplier. Um, we got the window cleaner. You got there's so many so many different expenses and so many other businesses that are supported by our one business. And not only that, the money that we're bringing in today is oftentimes paying the bills that we accumulated within the last month. So when all of a sudden we go from having 100% revenue come in, that plummets to 50%, our bills are still at 100%. We still have a month where we're just watching money just flow out of the business, and it's terrifying. So we entered, I think it was March 10th, we had about 60,000 in the bank. That's a pretty good number for a local restaurant. Uh, by April 10th, we were down to under 15,000. So it's 45,000 gone. And it, it was getting scary because those cash flow swings come when you, you know, a company like mine, when you have payroll, your payroll over a two week period can flirt with $40,000. And so when you know that it's about to come out every two weeks, you got to make sure that you're ready for it. So it was, it was a scary time. And, you know, beyond that, having, you know, the emotional struggles of the team coming in, the unexpectedness of it, all of a sudden their family is now cut by less than one third it just created a lot of a lot of pressure and a lot of stress and we just focused on trying to give our guests the best experience we could in whatever way we could well let's talk about the guest um you said that you know carry out started to do okay so i guess you had to convince this community that was used to dining in to now carry out um do you think that fear played into people you know staying at home and not taking carry out or can you take us through you know the community perspective during those 15 days and then beyond i mean especially in the early days we received quite a bit of support um you know even though we took that big hit of 50 to 60 percent that still represented tenfold growth of our carry out from from where it used to be i think uh, you know there were plenty of people that were completely terrified out the gates and they locked themselves down but you know, I can't say whether or not that had a heavy impact on us. It seemed at the time that most people that were s still going to live their lives were still living their lives. So you talked about all of these changes that you implemented. How did that go? Did you guys face challenges? You know, were people okay with the, the changes that they were dealing with internally? What were some of the things that you had to face as the leader of this business? Well, I mean, we had people that were disappointed that we didn't have the full menu to offer. Um, you know, you always hope everybody will be understanding, and a fair amount were, but, you know, not everybody always is. And in the restaurant industry, you learn a lot of times that people will take out their life's frustrations on you. Uh, you end up being the whipping boy for it, and you try to smile and take care of them as best that you can. Um, the biggest challenge really came uh, for me was when our, my daycare closed. So, so my wife, wife works full-time. I have two little kids at home, and uh, our daycare shut down um, less than two weeks in to the lockdown and it was closed for like five or six weeks. So uh, Monday through Friday, I'm stuck at home doing daddy daycare. So I'm, I'm relying on my people to take care of my business, to take care of my other baby here that actually provides for my family. And it, it was such a terrifying position to be in because I'm, I have no, I'm powerless. I have no control over what's going on during the days. I'm trying to manage from my phone while still being, you know, a dad and taking care of my kids. And then I just come up on the weekend to be a weekend warrior, you know, rally the troops, try to keep everybody held together, um, you know, while still keeping an eye on that bank account and just, you know, getting a little more stressed every day, hoping, hoping for a way out. 
can you take us a little bit through the timeline? We had that 15 days to flatten the curve, and was it after the first extension that daycare closed? Yeah, I think they they did an, an extension or it was somewhere in there where they, they passed. I mean, the rules and regulations were constantly changing. Uh, before the Supreme Court finally invalidated, uh, the governor had issued something like 192 executive orders, and each one would oftentimes tweak or adjust the one before. And like I said, we had no we have no liaison. It's not like somebody's coming to educate us. We we at best get a, the media or we get an email with literally legalese that we have to decipher and then figure out what this means in the real world for our operations. All right, so let's get a little bit personal about this. You know, what was the emotional toll that it took on you? Not only did you have to lay off your servers and some of your kitchen staff, and now you're working from home, you know, five days a week and coming up here on the weekends. Just take us through, you know, what it was like for you, Patrick, as the owner and founder of this establishment and also being a dad. I mean, as a business owner, you kind of get used to just dealing with challenging circumstances. Uh, They just come at you, and whether you just you become weathered or you become experienced, you, you, you tend not to let stuff get to you the same way. Uh, that being said, you know, laying off almost 20 of my employees, my family, was the hardest day of my professional career. I, I had worked really hard for, you know, a decade plus, and I never had to lay off a single employee. You know, uh, when I went to school at hospitality business at Michigan State, the main thing they told you was take care of your people. They're your most important asset. They're your most important resources. The businesses that succeed are the ones that have employees that feel like they're part of a family. They're part of something greater than themselves. And we worked really hard to create that atmosphere here. So to be forced to have to tear that up on my own, to have to tell these people that I can't afford to pay you, it, it, it was heart-wrenching. And then to have to rely on, you know, thank God I had those amazing eight people to carry carry this business through that they had to keep this going I couldn't even be here I mean to, to help to support them it's just texts and phone calls and doing what I could you always have to keep the positivity you always have to be the leader and you have to show that this is gonna you're gonna get you through this that you have the answers but you know every other day I would I would have some sort of breakdown I'm an emotional guy but I'm not like that I'll tear up at a movie but I'm not the guy that sobs so for me to have to go through experiences like that it was very you know it was powerful and troubling but you know, at the same time also also motivated me because it's like I know I've had these experiences in life that I'm here to tackle big problems and I'm here to help help people find solutions. So, you know, with every every new challenge, it's just, okay, let's figure out how to climb this hill. So it's easy to look back at this entire pandemic and all of the restrictions and regulations that have come down as one overarching umbrella. But again, as it was uh, explained to the public, there were small timelines, like 15 days to flatten the curve, that set certain expectations for the public. So why don't you take me step by step? I want to know what you were thinking during the first 15 days. And then I want to know what you felt during uh, the announcement of the extension and then the next extension. Can you kind of take us through, you know, your hopes and um, sort of the expectations that you started to create for yourself in the business as, uh, you know, different timelines were set forth? Um, with the first lockdown, I mean, it was just kind of reactionary. You didn't have a whole lot of time to dive deep into it. You're just like, okay, this is what I have to do. So let's get through it. They said 15 days. It's, it's frustrating, but but we'll figure it out. Um, you know, as the extensions came, you know, that's when you start to kind of look into things. You know, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. I, I run a restaurant. So I'm looking for the data. I'm looking for, hey, if this is a real danger, you know, I'm, I'm a food safety expert. The last thing I ever want to do is put any of my customers or my employees at risk. So I wanted to try to find, you know, what data are we going off of? Where is this real threat? And what can I do to mitigate it within my business? Uh, 
that was hard to find. There wasn't a lot of, of you know, clean science or clean data that they were leading with. It was mostly a lot of worst case scenarios. So as they continued to adjust the rules and, and, and continue to expand you know, the lockdown, other states starting to reopen, you know, it was kind of frustrating, um, especially when it seemed like fairly quickly the whole thing became very politicized. You know, I, I, don't, I don't play the team sport thing. I don't Republican, Democrats, whatever. I just care about people. So to watch it quickly turn into, you know, the Republican states versus the Democrat states or Democratic governors versus the presidents and, and just see all this fighting and talking past each other like almost every other issue that comes up, it's like, guys, this is life and death for a lot of people out here. You know, not just referring to the virus, but talking about, you know, you're shutting down industries where people live on the margins. You know, restaurants, we do our best to pay well, but most people in this country live check to check. They can't take a $500 unexpected payment hit. So to all of a sudden just be thrown into a world where not only are we now potentially taking away your right to earn money, but we're not going to really tell you how long it's going to last. And we're going to keep dangling this carrot of, one more week, two more weeks, two more weeks, and then eventually, bam, it's over 80 days later, and we're still not allowed to serve guests in our business. And it, it's so disempowering. You know, as, as a business owner, you're used to figuring out how to face challenges and how to overcome them. But when you're presented with something that no matter what you do, there's no way to overcome this. There's there's nothing I could do to open my business. They're not, they're not allowing it. So it's just, it's continually just getting slapped down but we get back up. Um, you know, like I said, it was my, my people that carried me through this. It just the effort that they did, the passion that they held, you know, watching them go to, go to war for us to keep this business alive. It's, you know, that's why I'm willing to do anything for them. But, you know, we just continue to press forward, hold out hope. Our, our bank account was in rough shape. We were able to get, uh, you know, a small local grant to help out a little bit. Uh, got an emergency uh, $10,000 loan to kind of support us, but things were still, you know, very tenuous. You said that you had to lay off the majority of your staff. And now that this continues to get extended, they're on unemployment. But what about your relationship with them? You know, are they reaching out to you? Are you keeping in touch with them? What's the sentiment at the time? Well, I tried to check in with them as, as often as I could, every couple weeks at least, shoot them just to each a quick message, which might sound easy and trivial, but when you have you know, between your locations, you know, almost 40 employees, <laughs> you know, your wife's like, what are you doing on your phone? I'm like, oh, I was checking in my team, uh, just making sure everybody was good and seeing if they needed anything. Cause I wanted them to know that, you know, I still cared for them even if I wasn't there and that they were still part of the team. And, you know, someday we'd be putting the band back together and wanted to make sure that they were always welcomed, appreciated and missed. Did any of them suffer any, you know, mental, emotional distress during this time? Did you hear from any of them that were struggling? I mean, initially, everybody just kind of was in a form of shock and just kind of marching forward. But as things, you know, this is a wrong, a weird word, but normalized into the lockdown period as the extensions continued and, and the, the politicization stepped in, you started really seeing the toll that it took on, on our people. Hearing like our manager unable to go visit her mom because her mom was now scared of her because she worked in a restaurant or you know just people having complete disagreements on something where they can't even talk to each other that it just turns into like yelling. It's so disheartening. You, you want, you know, this is a time where we need to support each other. That was the environment we were trying to create here and it seemed you know like we were just coming and doing damage control, just lifting each other up just to be able to get through the day. But 
you know, thank God there were always enough of us still in the light that we were able to, to carry each other out and have shoulders for the one other person to cry on. The next day they had a shoulder for you to cry on. That's, that's pretty heavy, but also sort of beautiful that you guys have that kind of relationship. All right, we're at the end of April 2020. Tell us the status of your business. So like I said, by April 15th, we were, we were under 15K in the bank. Uh, we've got a payroll coming up. We've got a big cash flow swing as our as our auto pays are about to go out on our, you know, our rents, our utilities, our our vendor pays, and I was scared. We were cutting really close, and then I wake up in the morning and I look at my email, and there it is: insufficient funds. Wood chip sales were cut in half. More than two thirds of the staff laid off. Owner Patrick trapped at home while daycare is shuttered, and the business bank account went into the red. The scaling back of the first lockdown was still almost two months away. How did Patrick and his team deal with the ongoing onslaught of challenges? Find out on the next Restaurant Revolution.